Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning, everybody. I'm a child of God in recovery for alcoholism, depression, and sexual purity issues. My name is Kirby. For those of you who don't know, that's, that's how we greet each other in Celebrate Recovery on a Thursday night. And that's one of my absolute favorite moments. To hear a room full of people reminding me that I'm not alone. You see, when I first walked through the doors of Springwell Church, it was for a Celebrate Recovery meeting over nine years ago. You probably wouldn't have recognized me then. I was a miserable human being. I felt utterly, desperately, and hopelessly alone. But from the time I introduced myself for the first time, I was assured that those feelings were lies because everyone echoed my name to welcome me, just like you did right then. Back then, my life was characterized by shame, disappointment, heartache, and despair. I was brutally addicted to alcohol, and I was horribly broken. I felt that it might be best for me and everyone else if I finally took action on my persistent suicidal thoughts and ended my life. I felt disgraced and defeated beyond words. I didn't know if it was possible for me to get better. For that matter, I didn't know if I wanted to get better because I just couldn't bring myself to believe that I deserved anything good in my life. I remember somebody telling me that pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. I thought that he'd think a lot differently if he knew the countless horrible things I had done. All of the countless things that I had promised myself I'd never do. But the guy who told me that shared some of his story with me, and so did many others in the rooms of Celebrate Recovery. Their pain was like mine. Their struggles and their failure were familiar, and it was obvious to me that their words were sincere. Then they told me something that wasn't familiar to me. They had victory over their struggles. They told me that God could and would bring me freedom from my guilt and addiction if I sought him. You know, I always believed that God could do that. I just wasn't sure that he would do that for me, especially after all of the ways I turned my back on him. But after I found so many people to whom I could relate and I saw the victory in their lives, I began to believe that maybe just maybe God might be willing to do that for me. That life-changing revelation for me came here at Springwell through Celebrate Recovery. You know, we sang that song just a few minutes ago, and every time they said, turn my shame into glory, man, that lump just rose up in my throat because I know what that's like. You know, a lifetime of shame God has taken and turned into glory for me. Others in recovery, they pointed me to Jesus and they guided me through a design for living based on biblical truth 
that we call the 12 steps. Today I follow that path. And I call those people my family. I'm not allowed to be alone anymore. My CR family simply won't allow it. I am daily bombarded by love and support that for me is so often difficult to fathom. Now when the enemy tells me that I'm unloved and unlovable, I hear your voices echoing my name, reassuring me it's not true. (laughs) Today, by God's grace, I've been free from a life of addiction to alcohol for over nine years. And depression no longer rules my life. God has restored countless things in my life that I long since believed that I had destroyed. And I've come to believe that he is just getting started with me. Thank you for letting me share. Good morning. Um, I'm going to try to reach up to this mic real quick. I'm a little short. One second. Okay. My name is Ashley, and I'm a blessed daughter of the King, and I struggle with PTSD. The thing that first brought me to CR was my family. I was struggling with depression and my PTSD. It took me a long time to accept this because I grew up in a home that frowned upon not being perfect. I remember the first time I told my dad I had PTSD. I felt so alone when he laughed and said I had never been in a war. But in life, I was going through a war. My impression of CR at first was overwhelming. I felt so out of place to begin with. I didn't know how to take this new change. These people looked like they were all perfectly placed. They looked like they had known each other for years. But so many people welcomed me that night and forever changed my life. I walk into CR with no intentions or high expectations of ever changing. I was just hopeless. I had read every book out there. I had done a church thing all my life. I was raised Baptist Christian after all. I was even doing therapy and still felt so empty inside. I felt my purpose of life was my daughter and my husband. They were the reasons I was still alive. Open share groups were mind blowing. These people were letting go of whatever was on their hearts. I couldn't believe how open they were being about their struggles. I thought to myself, did people actually talk to each other about their problems like this? I'd been stone cold lonely all my life. I didn't share my problems with anyone. Not only were they sharing their struggles, but they were also sharing their victories over struggles. I was dealing with these struggles, and that's when I felt like this might work. As soon as I heard about step studies, I joined one. I loved writing and loved doing homework. I think I was one of the first people on the sign-up list. I thought, let's do this step study and get rid of my issues and be done with this. Boy, was I wrong. It was the most empowering emotional time I had ever gone through. I couldn't have done a single day without my sponsor. I am blessed to have such an amazing person in my life. I met so many encouraging women who carried me through this journey. 
I remember right after starting the step study, I finally started going to Springwell Sunday services. God knew exactly what he was doing in my life. You are never too far gone. God will meet you even when you are broken. Psalms 34:18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I found him again and now have a personal relationship with him. I look forward to my early mornings with him every day. I look forward to my late night prayers with my daughter. I cry every time my daughter talks about God. I learned to forgive the men who sexually assaulted me. I forgave my family for the home abuse, and I'm learning to forgive myself. I learned that it wasn't my fault. I'm constantly asked if I would change a thing. The assault, the home abuse, the self-harm, and the past I had. I wouldn't change a single thing of it. It has made me a strong woman of faith. I have never been so close to God before. I'm thankful for my scars because without them I wouldn't know God's heart. I will forever work on myself. It's not an overnight thing. I can't change my past and that's okay because I am made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I would like to encourage every single person to just go that one time, no matter how hard it seems in that moment. Don't give up on yourself, and thank you for letting me share. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I suffer with drug addiction, abandonment issues, and sexual purity. My name is Dan. I love that part. I didn't grow up going to church or even really having an understanding of who God is. I grew up in a crack house. By the time I was 12, I was smoking pot and drinking with my parents' dealers in the basement. Around 13, I found my drug of choice, painkillers and speed. My friends and I would party every weekend. We would go cross country with my friend's dad. That was a truck driver every summer because he would party with us, buy us whatever we wanted, and I thought life was great. When I was about 16, I woke up to my friend's dad molesting me after a night of drinking. In 2009, I was in a bad car accident and started taking painkillers every day. In 2015, I switched to heroin because it was cheaper. After living in a shed for about a year or so, I got kicked off my friend's family property and picked up on a warrant from 2016. I was in jail for a week. Three days after I got out, I got arrested again for passing out in a laundromat bathroom when I was high. I was taken to a hospital because they thought I had overdosed. At the hospital, they asked me if I was willing to get help so they sent me to a rehab. Rehab was able to open my eyes to a higher power through AA and NA. My sister came to PA, picked me up from rehab and brought me down here to stay with her. So yes, I am a Yankee. <laughs> she worked with a guy in rehab or recovery and he introduced me to CR celebrate recovery in Springwell 
has opened my eyes to my one true higher power, Jesus Christ. Because of CR, I have found a peace with who I was, and I found a new way to live life happy. God has placed so many people in my life that I consider to be my family now. I am able to reach out to newcomers at meetings and make them feel welcome, just like everybody did for me. I have brothers in Christ to lift me up when I'm down, and I am able to be there now to lift them up when they're down. I have a sponsor that is willing to help me no matter how difficult I may be, which turns out to be most of the time. <laughs> and thank you for letting me share what God has done in my 15 months of recovery. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who is in recovery for codependency, grief, and control issues. My name is Renee. I thought I had a normal childhood. It was my normal. I was raised by both my parents. Mom and Dad got married when she was 15 and I was born when she was 16. So we really just grew up together. I have lived within eight miles of this building my whole life. I don't know if you want to consider that being stable or if it's really just a little sad. <laughs> we went to church, a small traditional Baptist church. When I was nine years old, I joined the ball team and I was the pitcher, so I was in control. I really think this was the beginning of my control issues. You see, I couldn't control anything at home. My dad was an alcoholic, just like his dad. I couldn't control the drinking the loud music, and the fact that if you drank too much in my family, the guns came out. My dad loved his guns. When I was a junior in high school, my grandfather shot and killed himself the day after Thanksgiving. The holidays would never be the same. I found out that years earlier, my grandfather's brother had taken his own life, and so had my grandmother's brother. The suicide seed had been planted and watered in my family. After graduation, I was working full-time and moved into my own place. Things were okay. I was still playing ball, but had stopped playing church ball and stopped attending services. A friend introduced me to Barry in the fall of 1980. We were married the next spring. This past June, we celebrated 39 years of marriage. Right after Barry and I started dating, another tragedy struck. My grandmother, mom's mom, who had always lived next door to us, passed away on Christmas morning. Now this was too much. How could God take my hero away? The one I ran to when things were bad at home and do it on Christmas morning. Now I was mad at God. It become all about me. How could he do this to me? Now, I really, really dreaded the holidays. In the summer of 84, we found out we were going to have a baby. And it was due on Valentine's Day. And I thought, cool, a Valentine's baby. 
Well, next thing you know, the holidays rolled around. We went to a Sunday school New Year's Eve party, stayed out late and welcomed in the new year. At five o'clock that next morning, my water broke. We rushed to the hospital. The doctor came in and said the baby's heartbeat was strong, but she would probably weigh about a pound. Now I had several hours to think about this. You know, what was God doing to me? What did I do to deserve this? But later on, on New Year's Day in the afternoon, our daughter Angela was born. Let's jump ahead to the year 2000. We had heard about this church where you could wear jeans. Yeah. I mean, no more Sunday dresses and pantyhose and heels. This sounded like my kind of place. Yeah. It met in the old high school building. Could this even be a real church? The preacher and the other speakers kept talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. I really wasn't sure what they meant. Then they would tell us we needed to join a growth group. They would talk about how many friends we would make meeting in each other's house and studying the Bible. Well, I wasn't looking for new friends, and I did not want strangers coming to my house. They would tell us we need to sign up to serve at the church. It looked like they had plenty of volunteers running around here to me. <laughs> there was also the part about tithing, giving back to God. We don't even want to go there. They kept saying that we needed to get connected. Get connected. Yeah, right. I was just fine. I didn't need to connect to anything. We continued attending Springwell, ignoring all the things they were trying to teach us. The very next year, in late August 2001, following in his father's and uncle's footsteps, my dad shot and killed himself. This family suicide thing was back again. And this was not a time for me to lose control. I took all these hurts and feelings and put them in a little box in my head. As long as I didn't take the lid off, things were bound to be okay. Why? Why was God letting these things happen to me? As time went by, we joined a growth group, then wondered why we waited so long. We didn't replace our friends, we added new ones. Friends you could do real life with. Weddings, funerals, even vacations. There is nothing like the bond formed between people when you study the Bible together. We started tithing, and in return being blessed in ways we don't deserve. We started volunteering, getting involved, getting connected. But best of all, I learned what it really was to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In August of 2011, I felt like God was leading me to volunteer in the Celebrate Recovery program. I fought it. I mean, I fought it hard. I was already volunteering on several Sunday teams, and He wanted me to give up my Thursday nights too. The feeling wouldn't go away, so I started volunteering. I was there almost every week, greeting and working at the info table. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do, volunteering. After all, I didn't need to be in the program. There wasn't anything wrong with me. 
part of my volunteer duties was to fold the brochures we had out front. I didn't read them, I just folded them. <laughs> so one day I accidentally looked over one. To my surprise, I needed to be in the program. So I started attending and I signed up for the very next step study. I was scared to death to take the lid off that box. With God's help, my accountability partners, along with my sponsor, I faced my hurts one at a time. I found what was missing, freedom. Freedom from having those hurts bottled up inside. Did they go away? Of course not. But I learned how to face them without fear. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. As far as some of the hurts I mentioned, my grandmother dying on Christmas morning. What a precious gift, going home to Jesus on Christmas. It was never about me. Going into labor six weeks early, and being told my baby could possibly only weigh a pound. It was not about me. To everyone's surprise, she was a healthy baby weighing in at four pounds, 12 ounces. And she's now over 35 years old, and I really meant to leave that part out this time. <laughs> the family drinking and suicide had nothing to do with me. This was something they chose to do. Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 5.8 Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In April of 2018, after being called back from a routine mammogram, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was an emotional wreck. I mean, why me? What is this even about? One of the first thoughts that went through my head was, well, it's all about me now. I need to take care of myself. So with the it's all about me mentality, not only did I step down from the ministry leader position at CR, I stopped attending. I also stepped down from my Sunday volunteer teams and I stopped attending. I ran away from my support. I left the door open and the enemy came right in. He told me I didn't have to do this. I didn't have to make any decisions. I didn't have to have any surgery. I didn't have to have any treatments. I didn't have to go through anything. I could be in total control. After all, I had been fully trained on how to take myself out. This suicide monster had raised its evil head again. Now, I have always said it stops with me. I will not pass this down on in my family. I prayed, begged, and surrendered this to God. I needed to be rescued like never before. I was reminded, it is not all about me. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And in the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. After five surgeries and a couple of procedures, I came back to CR. Not volunteering this go-round, God has blessed me with becoming part-time staff here at Springwell. I am currently serving as the Celebrate Recovery Director. If you are struggling with any hurt, habit, or hang-up, Celebrate Recovery is the place for you. You are not alone. CR works when? When you work it. Thank you for letting me share.
Boy, I love what we do. <clears throat> this morning, uh, this sweet morning for me. Because what we do is hard. It's not easy. And uh, sometimes <clears throat> the road can be hard and the journey can seem long and tough. But the morning's like this morning. I know it's worth it. So you've heard some really brave people. Uh, <laughs> I guess the Bible word, the churchy word is confess. Um, <clears throat> if you've not been a part of church, just admit. <laughs> I thought it was funny. <clears throat> that you're broken. And the thing of it is, and we said this last week, in fact, it seems like somehow we said every week that we're all broken. Every, every single person here is broken. So it's not just you looking and hearing someone else's story. You have a story of brokenness as well. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. And all fall short of the glory of God. So falling short of the glory of God is falling short of, of perfection. And just so you know, and Ken, if you're brand new to church or even if you've been in church for a while and still kind of through all of the language you still miss it, then I want you to understand that Jesus was God's glory. That's the glory referred to in Romans 3.23. And he was God's glory because he was God wrapped up in the flesh. He was 100% God and yet he was 100% man. He was 100% human which is kind of hard. Again, if you've been brought up your church your whole life, you've heard it, but try to wrap your brain around it just for a second. Wow. But while he was 100% human, he never committed a sin. One of the things that I love about this church, absolutely love about this church, is that everyone here is completely aware of their own sinfulness. We're just aware that we're all broken. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. Understanding that you're broken. Understanding that you're a sinner. It's only half the story. That's only half of the fix to the problem of brokenness. Just knowing that you're broken is not enough. In John 5, Jesus tells, it's an interesting story, I think. I think that illustrates the point that knowing that you're broken is not enough. So let's jump in. John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of those Jewish festivals. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So even if you've been in church for a long time, maybe what you didn't know was there was this pool and the tradition was that an angel would come at his choosing and he would stir up the water and when the water began to bubble, the first one in 
got healed. So I read that they might literally wait for days. I don't know who was keeping record of such things, but I guess somebody was. That it might be days, it might be weeks, it might not even know how long before the angel would come. And as soon as the water started to bubble, as you could imagine, it would be a free-for-all for who's going to get in first. In verse 5, it says, one who, had, who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Wow. 38 years. So at least of all the people that are there, we know that we got one brother that's been waiting a long, long, long time for his healing. But the truth of it is, is that there's somebody here this morning, there's a group of people here this morning that you know exactly what that feels like. And maybe for you it's something that's been physical. Maybe it's, it's headaches. Maybe it's some other kind of physical ailment, some type of sickness, and maybe you've had it literally for years, and maybe for years you've literally prayed every day of your life, God, if you would just heal me, if you would get me to the right doctor, however you choose to heal me, but God, please do something, but you're still not healed. Maybe for you it's some kind of ongoing problem, maybe it's overspending, maybe it's overeating, I got nosy on that one, didn't I? We were doing good. Overspending. Overeating. Boo. For some of you, it might be an addiction that just won't go away. Maybe you're smoking something that you shouldn't be smoking. Maybe you're addicted to prescription drugs, which seems like that's more difficult, it seems. To have a doctor write your prescription that you think that you need when maybe the people around you that would easily look at you and say, you're over-medicated. Whatever it is, you've been trying to quit. But you just haven't got healed. I hurt my shoulder like 30 years ago, my left shoulder. I remember the day that it happened. I was working out with a professional I was working out with George Gagnon. Back in the day, George was the one who actually owned the Greer Athletic Club. And, and he and I had been training together. And uh, I remember we'd finished five sets on the flat bench. <clears throat> we warmed up before doing, I was working with a professional. We actually warmed up before we went into the flat bench. And then after we did our flat bench, we moved to incline. And I was doing a warm-up set on the incline. It was a warm-up set. It was very, very, very low weight. In fact, it may have just been the bar. In fact, I think I just literally reached up, grabbed the bar, and came down, and I tried to come down, and I literally lost control. Something popped in my shoulder. It hurt. It hurt bad. Believe it or not, even for me, after, I don't know, probably a few weeks, I decided that I would do something that I was never going to do, and that's I went to the doctor. It's bad if I go to the doctor. I'm just telling you, it, it, it hurt, and it hurt really, really bad. And, and so the doctor on my first visit gave me a cortisone shot. Hello, anybody had a cortisone shot? Sweet Lord Jesus. You think I would have learned the first time I did not. I went back for a second visit, and he gave me another cortisone shot. Now, for those of you that have never had a cortisone shot, the needle is about, it's about two foot long. It's about the size of, I mean, it's huge. 
They have to stand up on some kind of box, I'm pretty sure, because I felt the pressure of this man's whole weight. I saw his feet just dangling. I mean, he was on top of me, pushing this thing down into my body. I felt it in my toes. And then he pulled it out, and then he got it behind me, and I saw it come out the front. Okay, that's a lie. But if you've had that experience, you just know that it's not pleasant. And the doctor, after the second shot of cortisone, without ever taking an x-ray, without ever doing an MRI, he said, maybe we should do some exploratory surgery. And I said, I don't think so, Skippy. You ain't been too good with that needle. You're not coming at me with a scalpel. And I never went back to that doctor ever again. And so for 25 years, it just progressively got worse. I'm just saying that I know what it's like to have a problem that won't go away. And I wish I could tell you that was my only problem. It was not my only problem. I dealt with all kinds of things over the years, addictions. I've dealt with, with insecurity issues. In fact, I've said many, many times I'm probably the most insecure person in this room. And yet I do what I do. And for those issues, just like my shoulder issue, I, I ask God to heal me. I even had a young Pentecostal whippersnapper friend of Emily's to lay hands on me one time. I did. You Baptist people don't judge me. Because I believe in the power of healing and I believe that God can do anything. I showed him I have I have I got feet problems. I got the ugliest feet you've ever seen on a man. My toes have hammer toe, and I asked him to lay hands on that, and he said, no, I'm not touching that. <laughs> but God didn't heal me. I remember thinking, well, maybe I just don't have enough faith, and I've been in the ministry for years. I'd watched too much TV maybe, and I'd seen too many of those faith healing guys on TV that always had a way out in case they slapped somebody on the head or prayed over them or whatever the case might be. And, and then they didn't get healed. They said, well, you just don't have enough faith. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's my problem. It's been a long time. I've been praying for years, and God hasn't done anything. And then I had a thought. I thought, well, maybe somehow it's a part of God's plan that I just hurt. I just know that the longer that a problem persists and the more that you pray, it's, it's easy to get discouraged. And it becomes easy to believe that, you know what, things are just never going to get any better. Verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, let's just be honest. I know you people are really, really spiritual, but you've got to admit, you're going, what? Like, I thought this was Jesus. But it sounds like a stupid question, doesn't it? I mean, I know, I know you can't say that. It's why I've thought it. Some of you are thinking the same thing. Of course he wants to get well. He's been an invalid for 38 years. Of course he wants to get well. Sir, the invalid replied, I just don't have anybody to help me get out of the pool when the water stirred. And when I'm trying to get in, somebody else beats me to the punch every single time. 
I remember reading it the first time. I thought, really? Well, you got more than just a problem of being crippled. I mean, you must have the personality of a goat. You don't have one friend? I mean, not one friend. You don't have at least one family member? I mean, a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad, that somebody that loves you enough, a cousin, somebody that could take you to the pool, somebody that would place you at the right place at the pool so that you could easily be the first one in. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you know what, it's easy to be critical when you don't know someone's story. I know that the longer that a problem persists, the more that you uh, try to compensate for that problem. For me, I gradually, over several years, started, stopped going quite as heavy on the bench. And uh, I had that magical number. Actually, it was a number of plates. And I remember thinking, I, I just can't go that heavy. And so I didn't. And then, but then I had, to, I had to lower the weight a little bit more and then a little bit more and a little bit more until finally I really wasn't doing bench press at all. In fact, all I could do was push-ups, and I wasn't doing push-ups very well. I still work my shoulders to the best of my ability. And for those of you that don't know me, I'm pretty hard-headed. I know it's hard to believe if... If you know me, I come across as being so sweet and easy. But so I still worked my shoulders even though it hurt. I mean, I would just grind through the pain. And then literally it got so bad, I, I couldn't even do a curl. The weight of, of a dumbbell in my hand literally hurt my shoulder. My point is I did my best to work around the problem. I just didn't want to admit that how bad my shoulder really was. But some of you know exactly how that feels. You've become a professional at compensating for the issue in your life. Some of you, you're a highly functioning mess. Maybe personally you're struggling, but professionally you're highly functioning. In fact, the people that you work with have no earthly idea of the junk that's in your life because you know how to cover up. Maybe your neighbors don't know. Maybe even some in your own family have no earthly idea because you've learned how to compensate for the struggle, how to smile through it, how to work around it. They're highly functioning. So Jesus asked this guy, do you want to get well? Why would he ask him such a thing? That appears to us to be such a crazy question, such a stupid question. Probably appeared to him to be such a crazy question. Why would he do it? Because knowing that you're sick, knowing that you're broken is not enough. I finally went to the doctor about four years ago after 25 years of hurting. Finally went to the doctor. He did an x-ray, did an MRI, and said, boy, your shoulder's a mess. He said, the good news is you can't do any more damage than you've already done. That's me. He said, in fact, you've gone so long that your shoulder's completely deteriorated with arthritis and you have bone on bone. And you've had bone on bone for so long that you literally have bone chips in your shoulder. I said, awesome. 
My next question was a really good one. When do I need to have this surgery? I'll never forget what he said. He smiled and said, when you're tired of hurting. So I had the surgery. And, and, and I'm healed. I do have trouble with my right shoulder now, so I'm just... All the people who shared their testimonies this morning did what I finally did. They took some action. So I'm, now, I'm asking you this simple question right now. Do you want to get well? Because we've already established that we're all broken, all of us. There's not a single person under the sound of my voice this morning that is not broken. but knowing that you're broken is not enough. On Thursday nights, we, uh, we end the service with a passing out of chips. Most, ki- most chips are given based on the length of sobriety. And so, for example, if someone's been, I love it when Jay does the chips, by the way. 30 days, which includes... Nights and weekends. For those of you that aren't, you just don't even know what that means, but we do. (laughs) I'm just saying. But we start with the blue chip. A blue chip is, uh, it's people who come forward to receive the blue chip or people who are stepping out to say, I know that I have a problem. And now I'm ready to take some action. They're stepping out to receive their blue chip symbolic that they're ready to surrender their lives to Jesus for their recovery because they realize that they cannot do it on their own. So they're ready to confess their need for Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're ready to swallow your pride and to confess your sin, to admit that you're a sinner, that you struggle and that you can raise your hand this morning and say, I didn't know exactly how to describe it and I've tried to kind of fake my way out of it. I've tried to, I've become a professional at trying to negotiate the pain and to compensate for the brokenness. But this morning, I'm just, I'm just ready to say, man, I, I'm a sinner. If that's you and you're ready to cry out to Jesus, to ask him for his forgiveness and just to say I desperately need you in my life and right now is the time to take some action so if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus but God has spoken to you and you're ready to take that step to take some action then every head is bowed every eye is closed if you're not a follower of Jesus but you'd like to be then maybe you'd pray a prayer something like this Right there in your seat. Maybe you'd say, Heavenly Father, I am admitting, I am confessing to you that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken. And I'm asking you this morning to forgive me of all my sin. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe that on the third day that you were raised from the dead, and I know that you're alive. And so right now, to the best of my ability, I'm fully surrendering my life to you. Everybody look this way. It could be that you're a follower of Jesus, but you've realized this morning there's a hurt, there's a habit, there's a hang-up that you need God's power to walk away from. In fact, five years ago, on CR Sunday, Yeah, as the pastor of your church, I came down and got a blue chip. And you want to know what it's for, right? Well, I'm not telling you. I can tell you what that blue chip represented for me. It represented a beginning of just admitting that I'm broken. And really, the blue chip, I, I've told Keely so many times, and she said it as well, is a blue chip just really represents a whole host of brokenness in your life. Because I remember thinking, well, I'm going to have to go every week and get a blue chip or something. And y'all would think, he is the most messed up person I've ever known. Forget the, uh, we need a new pastor. Uh, so today I can celebrate five years. So I'm going to ask you, Will, if you'll stand. Everybody. What you have this morning are some wonderful Celebrate Recovery volunteers. You've already seen or heard their stories this morning. People that have been willing to stand in front of you and to say, I'm broken. And if it's a follower of Jesus, you're ready, you're, you're ready to say, you know what? I, I got junk in my life. I'm a mess. And maybe you need to come down and get that blue chip. Symbolic of the fact that you're willing to take a step. Maybe you just prayed that prayer a few minutes ago to accept Christ as your Savior. How cool would it be for you just to come down and get a blue chip that would be symbolic of the day that you accepted Christ? I just think that'd be cool. You're in a safe place. As the band plays, I'll invite you to come.